Well, hello, I'm Eliza Jones, and for as long as I can remember, people have been telling me that I should turn my wildly detailed dreams into short stories. Just for fun, I like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are wildly accurate, outrageous, or funny. With my tongue firmly in cheek, I'll share these dreams and interpretations with you, along with superstitions, astrology, and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wouldn't Dream of It. Before we dive into this week's dream, I want to express my gratitude. In just one week after distribution, we hit double-digit unique listeners on Spotify alone, which qualifies us to be included in the podcasts you may like for other listeners of fictional podcasts. This is because of you. You listened, you told your friends, and they listened too. Please keep on listening and inviting your friends to listen. This will help to keep the show afloat. Another quick note for listeners, I would love to hear about your dreams, and if you're willing, I would like to occasionally dedicate an episode to reading and interpreting the dreams of listeners. I can use your name or not, depending on your preference. Your dreams don't have to be as detailed as mine. They can just be a couple of lines. If you don't remember your dreams, there is a trick to help you if you'd like to remember them. Keep a journal written or electronic, near your bed, and record something in it every morning right after you wake up. At first, you might be recording, I don't remember, every day, but don't give up. Eventually, you'll start remembering bits and pieces, and if you keep at it, you'll start remembering much more. This week's dream is called Permanent Reunion. I received an invitation to some sort of reunion where friends and family, high school classmates, and co-workers old and current were gathering. I wasn't sure I wanted to go because I'm an introvert and not fond of crowds, but since practically everyone I'd ever known was going to be there, I decided to give it a shot. I could always leave if I was uncomfortable, right? The invitation included a link to a download for driving directions to the venue, which seemed a little odd to me. Why would they send a link to driving directions rather than just providing the address? I searched for the venue on my favorite driving directions app, but it wasn't found. Thinking that maybe it was new construction, I reluctantly downloaded the directions. On the day of the reunion, my garter secured the sheerest black stockings, which had a delicate crimson floral pattern from the top to mid-thigh. I'd bought the stockings on a whim, but hadn't had an occasion to wear them before today. I donned a little black dress that was the perfect length to allow a peek at the crimson on my stockings and an intricately woven choker with crimson Swarovski crystals prominently featured. I was very pleased with the effect. I gently placed my strappy four-inch heels on the floor on the passenger side of my car and set off driving with slipper socks protecting my stockings. 
Using the downloaded directions, I felt almost like I was driving in circles, but when I attempted to take a more direct path, I got turned around and had to go back to where I last used the directions. Following the overly complex route to the venue, I eventually arrived a little late and more than a little frustrated. I slipped off my slipper socks, laced up my strappy heels, and took a deep breath before exiting my car. The venue was school-like, constructed of brick and heavy glass doors, a loading dock in back, huge parking lot, and sidewalks around most parts of the building. The inside boasted an auditorium, gymnasium, and classrooms. As I walked down the hallways exploring this school that I didn't recognize, I noted that the classrooms had been converted into rooms like you'd find in a roadside motel. Well, like motel rooms, but the bathrooms were shared and in the hallways, and the showers were in the gymnasium. The reunion really didn't include any formal activities, unless I'd missed them because of being late. It was basically like a bar crawl from room to room, hanging out with different groups of people and catching up. Each room had a unique theme, and I started visiting them one by one, only lingering in ones where I saw familiar faces. Having just left a room that memorialized those of our group who were no longer among the living, I found a football-themed room where there was a live game playing on the TV. There were comfortable-looking chairs and couches inside, pennants for various teams on the walls, and a free vending machine filled with an excellent variety of beers. I decided that this was the perfect spot to relax and socialize for a bit. I approached the beer machine and chose an IPA from a local brewery. I had to half-bend, half-squat to retrieve it from the opening near the bottom of the machine, and as the clips of my garters peeked below my hem, an awkward silence fell over the football watchers and stretched on as I stood and opened my beer. Pretending not to notice, I took a seat between two old friends, took off my shoes, and asked, Who's winning? The silence was broken as someone told me the score and we all became engrossed in the game. When a group of tipsy women later entered the football room and saw me there with the men, a couple of them got suspicious and angry. I don't know what they thought was happening between me and their husbands, but I decided it was time to go. My social tank was running on fumes anyway, and I'm too old for drama with other women. When I tried to leave the building, I couldn't find the way out. It was as if everything had been moved or was being moved as I tried to navigate. A few other people approached me and shared that they were having trouble finding the exit, too. We decided to join forces and look together. We went to the gymnasium, and there we found a man with white blonde hair whose name tag identified him as the school's athletic director. With an unsettling smile, he asked us if we were trying to find our way out. Upon our affirmative answer, he gave us these almost blank punch cards with only barely raised white-on-white -white text on them. He said as we visited various parts of the building, punches would appear on the cards, and when we had completed the cards, we would be able to find the way out. Wondering why we weren't given these magical punch cards when we arrived, we began trudging around the building, collecting punches by visiting rooms. Some punches even came from the bathrooms. 
Our full punch cards directed us back to the gymnasium, where we had to walk on an invisible scaffold on which we were passing over the gymnasium horizontally, as if walking on the wall. When we got outside, the parking lot was chaotic. People who had found their way out of the building before us had tried to drive to their respective homes only to find themselves back at the venue. Drivers were milling about between running cars trying to help each other by sharing their experiences. It seemed that every direction had been tried but failed to take the drivers anywhere but here. As I approached my car to see if I could find my way home, a man in an outdoor-facing room that I hadn't noticed before said, won't do you any good. I moved closer but kept myself out of the man's reach. What do you mean it won't do me any good? Creepily smiling and chuckling to himself, he said, It's not humanly possible to leave here. Being the suspiciously observant person I am, I picked up on the implication of humanly possible. I asked, What can we do to leave here that doesn't rely on human intelligence? The man told me he had some self-driving cars that could take me safely home for a price. I don't remember what price he quoted me, but I remember that it was exorbitant. Reluctantly handing over a credit card, sorry Nick, the man ran the transaction and then led me to the place where he kept his self-driving cars. I got inside the one he indicated, pushed the start button, and the car began moving forward seemingly in a breakneck rate. I felt very tired after the amount of walking I had to do to fill that punch card, so I started to lie down to make myself more comfortable. Then I remembered that most self-driving cars still require an alert driver at the wheel. That was when I noticed that the steering wheel was not present and there were no windows in this car. This scared me enough to wake me up in real life. Modern science has indicated that dream interpretation is a bunch of hocus-pocus, or hooey, if you will, but some of my dream symbols end up being closely related to thoughts or feelings I've had in my real life recently. My thought is that dream interpretation can be useful to help you understand the things that are unconsciously affecting you. It can also give you a hearty laugh. My method of dream interpretation is all about finding symbols or concepts in the dream and finding the meaning of those. I try to pull out single words to represent concepts because most dream interpretation resources are dictionary or encyclopedia style. By the way, I've added a few dream interpretation resources to my collection, so please be sure to check out my show notes for full information. Let's unpack this dream's meaning. The invitation I received in my dream must have been something like an email, since there was a link to download the directions. All of my sources had meanings for printed, written, and spoken invitations, but none covered electronic invitations. I did learn that accepting an invitation in a dream suggests that there are traits that I need to assimilate into myself. Okay, what are these traits? Are they ones that I have and don't show, or am I supposed to start acting like someone else? Is stop asking so many questions the trait that I need to assimilate? I crave answers, people. <laughs> I'm really glad that the invitation in my dream was electronic, though. Dream me didn't have to decide whether to recycle the invitation or keep it like the pack rat that I am. Also, all of the interpretations for invitations on physical media were negative. Dodged a bullet there, didn't I? Yeah. 
Dreaming of attending a reunion may indicate that there are thoughts or emotions from my past that I need to perceive and accept. This one hits close to home for me because recently I've dealt with some characteristics that I developed because of my past and eliminated them at least partially. We'll get into that more later. I didn't think much of dreaming about stockings until I learned that it means I'll profit from services rendered by friends. I refer again to my Etsy favorites list, which is linked in the show notes. <laughs> oh, you guys are so much fun. Since I was dressed mostly in black in the dream, and if I remember correctly, my car was black as well, I thought I would see what the color black represents in the world of dreams. Yes, mom, I know that black is a neutral, not a color, but I'm going to call it a color because this is my podcast. Before the universe was born, by whatever means you believe in, there was only a dark void. Out of this blackness came everything that we know now. And in the same vein, dreaming of the color black may represent creative potential that has not been expressed. Look out, listeners, this show apparently is going to get even more creative. <laughs> Oh, anyway, I had never dreamed of watching a football game, although I have watched a bunch of it in real life. To dream of football has a twofold meaning, both of which are related to my waking life. First, dreaming of the sport of football itself warns me to watch out for making friends too easily. If you ask my BFF, Mishy, if I make friends too easily, she'll relate to you the story of when she first met me and thought, what a bitch. <laughs> I'm not quick to become a friend, but once we're friends, we're friends for life as far as I'm concerned. Now, dreaming of witnessing a football game may also indicate fulfillment in my work and a good chance that I will achieve my ambition. Well, I really love creating this podcast, so I definitely find satisfaction in this work. I hope to make this my career someday, but even if I never reach that goal, I still will feel the satisfaction of creating something from my dreams and hopefully entertaining others. I thought for sure that drinking beer in a dream was going to mean something negative, but drinking beer can indicate contentment in a dream. Dreaming of alcoholic beverages of any kind foretells success, but only if the dreamer is drinking responsibly. If the dream includes overuse of alcohol, it can become a harbinger of failure. Glad I only had one beer in my dream. There's so many positives so far, I certainly wouldn't want three or four more beers to turn the whole thing into a mess. Moving on to the driverless, windowless car at the end of the dream, this seemed really strange to me. Although there are driverless taxis in some places as we speak, they definitely have windows. The best reference I found for dreaming of riding in a car with no driver hints that I need to take a look at the level of control over my life. At first blush, this sounds like, you should take control of your life. But in my case, I think it may mean the opposite. Maybe I don't have to always be in control. More on that later, too. Moving on to what I consider the main theme of the dream, let's talk about being trapped in or navigating a complex labyrinth. During our lives, I think we all explore our unconscious mind and find places where we need to shine a light or make some repairs. Psychologically speaking, the labyrinth in a dream, i.e. the building and the whole venue, indicates this journey of exploring our minds and maturing along the way. Finding my way out of the labyrinth foretells happiness and a resolution to the parts of myself that still need work. 
I have to say that this dream really hit the mark with me. Without going into too much detail, I will share with you that I work with a psychiatrist to help me live with mental illness. Recently, I admitted something to her that I had never told a professional before, and it was like a floodgate opened. What came out of the floodgate? Well, a greater sense of trust and love for my husband, a new appreciation of my life and the experiences that shaped me, and understanding that I don't have to have two-fisted control over my life all of the time, a sense of peace with my children being adults, and just a greater peace overall that I've never before experienced, and a way to turn my dreams that had frightened and vexed me for my entire life into something beautiful. If you live with mental illness, I see you, and I hope that you are seeking the help that you need and allowing whatever helps you to fully help you. There's no weakness in admitting that you need help, and there's no sacrifice in receiving help. Moving on from a serious conversation such as that is a little bit difficult, but it is time to talk about superstitions. Do you ever think about all of the things that we do without thinking of them? You know, things like coughing, sneezing, and peeing? For some of us, these three things go hand in hand. There are superstitions regarding these and many other things that we do without thinking and or do involuntarily. I think it would be fun to discuss these superstitions, some of which are meant to cure and some to frighten. There was a superstitious cure for coughing that may still be practiced in parts of the British Isles. This cure involves boiling three snails in barley water and having the person who is coughing drink it without knowing what's in the cup. That's just nasty. Word of advice to anyone who might ever want to help me with a cough, I would prefer to keep coughing over taking this remedy. And I really think that anybody who found out what was in the cup would refuse to drink it too. Sneezing has almost as much superstition surrounding it as tea, and that's saying something. Non-illness-related sneezing has long been considered an omen, often evolving over time. One sneeze superstition is based on the number of sneezes. One for a wish, two for a kiss, three for something better. <laughs> Another is based on the day of the week on which you sneeze. Monday for danger, Tuesday for stranger, Wednesday for a letter, Thursday for something better. <laughs> Friday for sorrow, Saturday you see your true love tomorrow, Sunday for the devil to have you the rest of the week. I'm thinking the very best time and way to sneeze is three times on Thursday to get the double whammy of something better. <laughs> My kids are going to kill me when they hear me using that voice. <laughs> Many of us believe that saying bless you to someone who sneezes is a superstition, but it actually has its roots in very sad history. When one caught the plague in Roman times, sneezing usually was the first sign. Saying bless you as they hurried away was people's expression of sympathy and of not wanting to be near someone who may have the plague. Modern Italians are said to say, God be with you, as they believe that the essence or soul leaves the body during the sneeze. The blessing is meant to ensure that the body and soul are safely reunited. Um, hello, listeners. If any of you are Italian, will you please let me know if that is true? Um, first of all, I'm not so sure about the modern part. And second, I don't think I've ever heard anyone who was Italian say, God be with you if I sneezed around them. But I could be wrong. 
let me know. You know, hit me up on the Facebook group or email me something. <laughs> there are many other superstitions about sneezing that I think I'll save for a future show. I would like to move on to the little dribble that often accompanies postpartum sneezes, sometimes plaguing the mother for life. Yes, friends, I'm talking about urine. In superstition, urine is practically liquid gold. It is said to provide protection from ghosts and evil spirits and to have healing properties. Thinking jellyfish stings, maybe? It is also said that if a woman wants a man to fall madly in love with her, she needs only to pee in his shoe. I think maybe somebody mistook mad for madly in love, because I think that would probably make a man mad. Then again, if there's a person in whom you are interested and you're a sneeze dribbler, I'm thinking you could sit on their shoe as you sneeze three times on a Thursday. Once again, friends, if you try this and it works out, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, if you're shaking your head at me now, please know that I am shaking my head at myself too. I laughed out loud as I was writing that bit and I hope it made you laugh too. Um, most of my production and editing crew kind of took a vacation this week, so I got away with keeping it in. <laughs> I'll be sure to put a question and answer on Spotify where you can tell me your opinion about my outrageous superstition topics this week. So awkwardly moving on to astrology corner. Have you ever read the description of a sun sign, even one of the regular sunny, bright, happy ones and thought, that doesn't sound like me at all. Well, I recently found out the reason for this. You probably already know that your sun sign is ruled by a planet. If you didn't know that, congratulations, you've learned your something new for the day. Here's another something new for you. In astrology, the sun and moon are considered planets. Pluto is also a planet in astrology. Take that, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay, well, I didn't make the rules, so moving on. <laughs> The planet that rules your sun determines a bunch of the characteristics of your sun, but there are also three sub-ruling planets per sun. What? Yes, it's true. The period of time that the sun is in each sun is approximately 30 days, and this 30-day period is divided into decanates. Decanate literally translates to 10 days later, and in the context of astrology, this means 10-day period. Okay, Eliza, stop getting all technical. The point is that the first 10 days of your sign is subruled by one planet, the second 10 by another planet, and the third 10 days yet another planet. The first 10 days are ruled and subruled by your main planet, but the other two 10-day periods are not so straightforward. Take my sign Taurus, for example. The sun is in Taurus approximately April 20th through May 20th. I say approximately because the astrological calendar actually has 360 days, so the dates change a little bit from year to year. Taurus's ruling planet is Venus, and from April 20th to April 30th, the Sun is subruled by Venus as well. May 1st through May 10th, Mercury becomes the subruling planet and introduces its own set of characteristics. Finally, May 11th through May 20th, Saturn becomes the subruling planet, which shakes things up a little bit more. Next, we find that being born on the cusp of a sign changes things too. What's a cusp, you may ask? A cusp is the beginning of a sign, which isn't exactly on the very same day and hour each year. There's another something new if you needed one. 
The Taurus, born on April 20th through April 24th, may share characteristics from Aries as well. In fact, depending on the exact date and time of 420's birth, they might actually be an Aries. Either way, 420 is probably very chill. <laughs> By the same token, the Taurus born on May 16th through May 20th may have Gemini tendencies, and 520 may actually be a Gemini. Is anyone suffering an identity crisis yet? Amazingly, decanates and cusps are just two of the many things that can influence the characteristics of a person's sun sign. I'll cover more next week, and I might cover them a little more deeply when we begin delving into the individual sun signs. Next week, we'll talk about moon signs and ascendants, which are two more influencers over your astrological chart. During our September 22nd show, we'll begin our four-week deep dive into the perfectionist that is a Libra. To round out our show this week, I'd like to tell you a fun story that I read in Upworthy, an online news source that tells uplifting stories. This particular story reveals the life of a man who spends 300 days out of the year on Royal Caribbean's Freedom of the Seas. This seafarer has a job that he can do 100% remotely, and doing his job from the ship allows him to socialize instead of being isolated at home. It also costs just about the same as rent and garbage collection for a one-bedroom place in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Because he sticks with Royal Caribbean, this sea dog is able to take advantage of their loyalty program, which makes his cruising even less expensive. He gives up his sea legs for a few weeks a year, which is when he takes care of visits to doctors and the dentist and sees his land-loving friends. Eventually, this mariner hopes to give up his land-based apartment and car to make the ship his permanent residence. You can find this and other stories to make you smile at Upworthy.com. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Wouldn't Dream of It, and on TikTok as Wouldn't Dream of It Podcast. Join our Facebook group, also called Wouldn't Dream of It, to talk about the show, my dreams, your dreams, or other fun topics. Share your dreams with me by email at wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com. Remember, that's wouldn't without the apostrophe. Wouldn't Dream of It is created and written by me, Eliza Jones. Other staff were on vacation this week, thus the silliness with superstitions. <laughs> Original song, Dreams and Nightmares by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted, both with a Y instead of an I. Thanks again for listening. Take care, and I'll see you next week.